Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech studio. The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call, 650-650, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Before we get into uh, the top six discussion a little bit more, Drancer, and I do want to play an interesting clip from Rick Tockett last night, a little bit of an update from practice today in Detroit. And uh, thank you to the texter who texted in saying that Miller said at practice that he skated with Lindholm uh, on a line today. And indeed the Canucks have posted some brief audio after the practice. Miller does mention uh, that he was skating with Elias, uh, Elias Lindholm uh, today. And the, uh, the reporter who I think might've been the only reporter there is uh, the Canucks reporter, Kate Pedersen in her questioning with to Miller. She alludes to, you know, shuffled lines at practice today. So we don't have what the full uh, setup uh, looks like, but it does sound like Rick Tockett responding to the four, nothing loss against the Bruins, shuffling things. And, you know, playing Lindholm with Miller. We'll see what else shakes out as a, as a result of that. Could that mean Miller and Besser maybe are split up for the first time in a long time? We'll see. Uh, but, you know, not a big surprise, I guess, that Tockett has uh, decided to mix things up a little bit going into the weekend games, or potentially anyways. We'll see how they line up against Detroit. Yeah, it would be a su- bigger surprise if there was no change at all, yeah. I think. Right? So, you know, we're, we'll I mean, Lindholm going with Miller, I, I think that you know, to, to do the LSAT logic games thing, it's like, well, does that mean Miller's at center? In which case, would Lindholm be on the right side? Yep. So who would be their third line? Or does it mean Miller's on the wing? In which case, Besser might stay there. I mean, you know, we, we, we can't extrapolate too yeah. much. And this is why I absolutely hate missing road practices, because we just have nothing to talk about. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> a little LSAT but, um, logic games. You're right. You're up my alley, man. I, I crushed yeah. that portion of the LSAT, I got to say. <laughs> Uh, anyway, no surprise, and, you know, I, I think, I mean, again, this team's this team's continued to win. Like, they're kind of playing Terminator-style, or not even Terminator, like DT-2000, like the the um, liquid version mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. Terminator, you know, the bad the guy The upgraded version, too. yes, of course. Yeah, um, because, you know, the I mean, the finishing efficiency goes away. And they're still winning games, right? Like that's that's been their mo all season, right? The power play carries them for a bit, and then it cools off, and then the third line goes off, and then you know we see the reunited Lotto line dunk on everybody in New York for for a week, and then um, you know we, we've seen them grind out some wins with like comebacks and mm-hmm. just like keep picking up points here. So and improve five on five play, which they didn't really have in their bag earlier this season. I, I mean. One thing that's been impressive is this team's always found a different engine. You know, like they've always had a different engine going to rely on. Uh, meanwhile, like goaltending quality has sort of been a steady drumbeat in the background. And, uh, you know, that's that's a good mix to have. Uh, it's one of the things that hurts about the shorthanded goals too, right? Is that it's not it's not even like just your, your power play is going cold and taking away an engine. It's actually uh, hurting what has at different points this right. year been uh, something that's driving you to wins really consistently. And as you said, look, it wouldn't have it would have been pretty surprising to see the lines remain the same at practice today after that loss yesterday. And I did want to play this clip from Talkit because I thought it was really interesting. He was asked, I believe, by Ian McIntyre about some of the <laughs> offensive struggles. Uh, 
uh, in general from the top six. And he doesn't name names, but some interesting commentary I thought here from Rick Tockett after the game last night. Well, listen, we need some, you know, we need a couple guys here. Let's go. I mean, come on. It's, they weren't good tonight, some guys, and they haven't been good, frankly, last, you know, these are, this, when you, these are big time games. You know, Marshawn and Pasternak, you know, great players, and they showed up. You know, we got to have that kind of thing. Now, listen, there's our first loss in, like, I don't know how many games, 13, 14, so <clears throat> I can't get too critical, but these are big games you'd like to see a little bit better from some guys, and, you know, those two short, the, the shorthand goal is really is, a, is something you cannot do in big critical games. That's Rick talking. I thought very interesting saying, hey, there's like he even says, come on, like it's time to get going. Weren't good last night. Haven't been good. He seems to be going on to say. And, you know, again, the comparison to Pasternak and Marshawn, hey, they showed up in this one. The the obvious illusion is our best players didn't show up uh, in this one. And, you know, he, he does temper it by saying, look, we've been picking up all these points. So there's only so much criticism I can really level Uh, at these players, but you couple that commentary with the really low ice time for Elias Pettersson in his line and also JT Miller in his line last night, you know, very atypical from what we're used to seeing from Rick Tockett. I think pretty clearly that's going to be a major focus of the coach going into these weekend games, going into the foreseeable future is making sure those guys are are going. They're showing up and they're producing as well, especially at five on five, which has been an issue for the last little stretch here. Yeah, and, you know, I I think an issue that maybe has been magnified a little bit over the course of this week, you know, sort of the one trend, I know it was like my lead in my athletic notebook, if if anyone wants to go read that at theathletic.com slash Canucks, but I've got a big notebook up from uh, from Boston, and, you know, I I think the one... I want to call it like a small C concern, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to... I don't want to... You know, I think talk is fundamentally right, right? Like, this team's won so many games, and what we saw last night in Boston should be, given the, you know, overall, like, I think, um, the overall, like, uh, benefit of the doubt that this club has earned, like, it should be viewed as most likely to be a one-off, you know, until we have reason to believe and talk about it otherwise, right? But when you look at, the amount of shots, scoring chances, just like think in your mind's eye about the the heavy shifts generated by, you know, the Canucks top six. Um, it, it, it was a pretty quiet week at the office five on five for, you know, a, a bevy of Canucks all-stars. Now, all of them went to the all-star yes, game. So yeah. maybe, maybe we cut them some slack. I also think it's worth noting that the Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes are about as good defensively as any team you'll find in the league. I mean, that might be the one and two hardest teams to break down in, in the entire NHL. And, but, you know, 37-ish minutes for the Miller and Pedersen line five on five this week, uh, 10 total shots on goal. Like, that's a hard way to live, right? Like, it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to sustain the sort of winning clip that this team has to this point in the season if that's the level of push you're getting, if that's the number of scoring opportunities you're generating with your best offensive players on the ice five on five. That that to me, it's like, for me, it's like a watch. You know, when you go into the dentist's office and they're like, it's not a cavity, but... Mm. Pay attention to this spot, yeah. Yeah, it's a watch for us. We're going to put it on the list every time you come in and put the bulletproof vest on and get the x-rays. We're going we're gonna to check there closely. Um, that's what it is for me. It's like, 
the the five on five offensive stuff. You know, we saw it kind of go away in January. Like that big picture concern that I'd had for the first few months of the year was largely answered in the month of January, but it's cropping back up now. It's a watch. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's not a thing. Um, we'll know more soon. But but to me, that was sort of the one commonality um, between these two games that, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd put on my watch list, especially because, you know, other than Raleigh, Boston, there's one place where you're reliably going to find elite defensive teams, and it's in the second, third, and fourth round of the playoffs. Yeah, that's right? the like thing, some, right? That's, that's know, why that's, the their great defensive teams thing only goes so far, right? Because it's like, right. well, yeah, and that's who you're going to need to produce against <laughs> I mean, if this team for this team to get to where it wants to go and to kind well, of and especially make this season what, count. And especially in a playoff environment where the whistles go away. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because like, only one five-on-five goal this week, right? And it required a, a pretty funky bounce off a stanchion for, to bounce to JT Miller in Carolina. That's the only five-on-five well, goal they scored. But go further back. Uh, I, I, did they have one? Uh, or sorry, I don't think I don't know if they had one against Columbus. Power play, power play, power play. Yeah, you might be right. F- a three on three, and and then they had two from Suter, um, in the you know comeback loss against the St. Louis Blues. So it's four or five on five goals in the last four games, and it's two in the last three. Yep. Yeah, it's not ideal. So, so sorry. So, I guess they had one against Columbus because I did check it. I, I know it's two in the last three, four in the last four. So, you know, at, at, again, um, this club's been shooting a pedestrian clip. I think we expect it to shoot an above-average clip, but um, just a thing to monitor because at the end of the day, if you can't generate five-on-five five, or if you're going to struggle to generate five-on-five, five, that significantly reduces your margin for error once you go up against the best defensive teams in an environment where the whistles get swallowed as the playoff series goes along uh, at the pointy end of the season. And I do think, you know, and I think you mentioned this to talk it, speaking to him after the game last night, like acknowledging, look, you're trying to bring in a new piece in Elias Lindholm. And yeah, it instantly fit on the power play in Carolina, but it's also reasonable to expect that there might be a bit of a process going into getting him going, getting him integrated into the lineup. And I think part of that process is, you know, what likely unfolded at practice today or what did unfold at practice, which is try him out in some different spots. You know, you have choice one. Okay, hey, he's going to start with Pedersen, but you're not married to that. You're going to give him some different looks. And I would I would guess that we're probably going to see some of those other players who haven't had an opportunity up in the top six really this year uh, get a chance to audition as well. And I know you've brought up uh, Connor Garland repeatedly. I wonder about a Dakota Joshua as well. Like, could we even see Garland and Joshua kind of moved en masse up to, could you see like Patterson with Garland and Joshua? I, I, I'm desperate to see that. Yeah. Honestly. Um, so last night, last night in the game against the Bruins, Dakota Joshua According to Natural Statric, and, and please note that I take these data points, any any location-based data point with a heaping of salt, but I, I still think it's worth referring to um, just as like a gut check, especially when it matches the eye test as, uh, as neatly as this one does. So the Canucks at 5-on-5 five five generated a grand total of 14 scoring chances, and Dakota Joshua had five of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. and, but But, you know, that... That's exactly right. Now, a lot of those, the one thing, the one thing sort of restraining my enthusiasm about the moving Dakota Joshua and Garland up as a duo and maybe trying them out with a more skilled center, whether it's Pedersen or, or even Lindholm, um, the one sort of thing that would, you know, like a lot of those chances in my mind um, come off Garland's stick. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of battles where it looks like last night, especially because the Bruins were going after him. I mean, clearly, uh, they were like 50% of the players responding to the athletic anonymous player poll about player with most punchable face, and like all of them answered Garland, apparently, because they were going after him pretty hard last night. Um, but like, there were all these sequences with Garland down low. He's on the wall against a guy who's way bigger than him, and it looks like he's about to lose the battle, and then quick backhand pass out front. You know, and it's like yep. right on the tape to Dakota Joshua. Um, I would very much like to see some of those passes ending up on like JT Miller's stick or Brock Besser's stick or Elias Lindholm. Stick. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'd be open to see what happens if they move up in concert. But I, I'll also just think at some point you need to see 10 games of like, what does it look like if we throw Garland um, into into a matchup role with JT Miller, or into a you know secondary offensive role with with Elias Pettersson. Like I think you should see what that looks like before the playoffs. And I actually sort of wonder if this team's almost had too blessed a season. You know, like well they haven't I had they right, haven't had to put things in a blender at any point really. Well, well, I, yeah, I, I just you know I I think Rick Tockett staring at a whiteboard is probably a very dangerous thing for opponents. Mm. You know, and I, and when they've won at this clip. Uh, when things have gone so swimmingly, you know, I, I don't know that he's had as many of those strained whiteboard sessions as he maybe would in a more more normal season, which, which you know, again, this isn't a shot at the Canucks. Like, think about all the other top teams in the league that we've seen, you know, the Oilers earlier in the season, right? They literally had to – the LA Kings recently. Um, you know, Boston had this two weeks ago. Like, Winnipeg is in the tank right now. Colorado had a, had a weird stretch for a bit. Dallas, I mean – you know, the Florida Panthers in the first two months, like every team has had this like month long stretch where they've really sagged and, and often they come out of it with different solutions that actually strengthen who they are. You know, I Mm -hmm. I mean, the Canucks haven't had a stretch like that. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing provided that they stay far enough ahead of the Oilers that they lock the Oilers and the Vegas Goldbacks into a matchup against one another in the first round. Um, We're going to talk to uh, Helene St. James, who covers the Red Wings, in the next segment. But before we get there to take a break, you know, you mentioned you have the notebook up uh, at The Athletic today, reacting a little bit to the loss to the Bruins and also taking care of some other notes. I did think uh, the interesting section noting that Patrick Alvine joined the club in Boston, is doing some scouting, watching, of course, Tom Volander in uh, Boston University, also Canucks prospect Aiden Celebrini there, some other scouting opportunities. But an interesting point about how the club's strategy around NCAA free agents kind of has to shift given the the quality of the season they're having so far this year. Yeah, because you can't airdrop guys yeah. onto your roster. So, you know, last year when the club's pitching, and Cole McWard's the most interesting version of this, right? Because in McDonough's case, he was a senior. In Akito Hirose's case, he was a senior. So he's going to sign. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to sign with somebody. It helps you to be able to be like, hey, you want an NHL job? You want to make your NHL debut in the next two weeks? And you want to earn an NHL salary while taking part in NHL practices for the next month? Like, that's a very appealing proposition to a, you know, first time, mm-hmm. like an, I mean, I mean, a designated amateur athlete, right? The amateur status is required by the NCAA despite the, um, you know, uh, arrival of NIT stuff. So um, that's a very appealing proposition. But, and it really matters for a player like Cole McWard who was, you know, a sophomore, right? Like, who had years of time if he'd wanted to go back to Ohio State and keep growing his game in in an environment where, you know, you go to class, you're the big man on campus, you play only on weekends, you have 
uh, all the opportunity in the world to use world-class gym facilities. I mean, life is good. Life is good mm-hmm. for, for Div 1 athletes on, on hockey scholarships. So, you know, those, those ephemeral things matter a ton in terms of pushing your recruiting pitch over the top. And it's a recruiting pitch that the Canucks can't make this year because the games down the stretch are going to matter too much, right? The roster spots are going to matter too much. The cap space is going to matter too much. Like you literally are not, and the Canucks will not very likely uh, put a NCAA player onto the roster down the stretch for them to get blooded, um, you know, for the sake of amplifying their recruiting pitch. So, they're really going to be focused on signing guys to contracts that start next year. And this is the Max Sasson model, which would then permit them to sign a PTO and join the Abbotsford Canucks down the stretch. Uh, Scott Young was at the game last night. The Canucks are still going to try and be aggressive in this area, but it's going to look a lot different. And I think the success of Max Sasson this year is going to be part of their pitch, right? Like it Mm -hmm. might actually be better for you to go straight to the American League and play in the American League playoffs. I, I can also tell you that the Canucks are excited about the prospect of bringing LeCaramacchi and defenseman Elias Pettersson over following the conclusion of their Swedish seasons to join the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, that'll certainly make for an interesting watch down the stretch and going into the playoffs for, for Abbotsford, right? I mean, LeCaramacchi playing his first North American pro game. That'll be good. Like, sign me up. Yep. I'll, I'll make that drive without question. I'm sure other Canucks fans will too, so... Um, should be exciting, but yeah, the, the Canucks' intention and, and obviously things can change based on you know how deep their teams go into the playoffs or any injuries sustained. But the plan right now is for those guys to come over and, and join Abbotsford following the conclusion of their season. One last wrinkle on this, Jamie. I know yep. we're pressed for time. Sorry, Dom. No, um, Dom's not here. Who cares? No, but we do no, have a guest in the next second. But I know, yeah. I know. Uh, but one other thing is, given that Pedersen and Lakaramaki are already signed and are on the club's reserve list. If they come over to join Abbotsford following the conclusion of their um, Swedish seasons, they'd also be eligible to play in the NHL playoffs. Mm. Unlikely, but just uh, just a fun wrinkle to bear in mind. There you go. The top six help the Canucks need. Lakaramaki. Boom. Done. Just plug, plug, <laughs> plug and play in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Welcome to the show, buddy. Um, just quickly, the point on Max Sasson is really interesting because, of course, so much focus on Cole McWard and Nikito Hirose last season. They come up and play for the NHL. But who's acquitted themselves the best in Abbotsford this year? It's Max Sasson, who's having a really productive year. And I think, as you noted, kind of in the fringes of the call-up discussion, uh, certainly poised to join that discussion going into next season if he continues to develop. So an interesting wrinkle to the NCAA free agent strategy. We will take a break. Colleen St. James covering uh, the Red Wings for the Detroit Free Press. We'll look ahead to tomorrow's opponent. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance with you. Friday edition of the show, Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, 
What are you waiting for? The Canucks play the Red Wings in Detroit tomorrow morning here uh, on the Pacific Coast afternoon in Detroit. And uh, we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline where we are joined by Helene St. James covering the Red Wings for the the Detroit Free Press. Helene, thanks for making some time for us today. How are you? Very well, thank you. Happy to be on. So this has been uh, an interesting season, you know, not quite the same uh, runaway success that the Canucks have enjoyed, but definitely these have been two of the surprisingly successful teams this year. What's gone right for Detroit to have them right in the mix of the uh, of the Eastern Conference playoff race at this point? Well, it really goes back to uh, last summer, Steve Eisman brought in numerous veterans, uh, especially on defense, and then he was able to trade for Alex DeBrincat, and then uh, at the very end of November, into December, he was able to sign Patrick Kane. So uh, Red Wings, early on, they were, uh, their defensive structure has really gotten so much more solid over the past months. Um, but overall, they're, they're just, they're so much more fun to watch. And mm. uh, they, they, they have guys on every line. I mean, Daniel Sprong on the fourth line who, who can score. And they just, they have not had that capability in, in so long that, that's been the key. And then, you know, Alex Lining, I mean, just incredible. He, he he didn't even play the first five weeks of the season, kind of just waited and waited, and, and now he's their starter. And the, the big reason why that they're in the second wildcard spot in the East. You, you mentioned just how much more fun the team has been this year, and obviously winning helps that a lot, but they're scoring a lot as well. How important was it for the team to take this kind of step forward, just from a fan's point of view, right? Because I know there is there has been a ton of faith in in Steve Eiserman and with the job he did in Tampa and trusting that he was going to build this team, but you know, at a certain pl- point, losing seasons become tough to take as well. So how important, from a fan's point of view, has this step forward been this season? Well, I'll just start by saying... They are not as much fun as they would be had they only drafted Quinn Hughes. That, that <laughs> one still burns. That's true. Uh, six years, six years later. But uh, what an amazing player he is to watch. But yeah, you know, I mean, fans absolutely have a lot of faith in Steve Eisman, and I always tell people, look, it took him 14 years as a player to win the Stanley Cup, and that was with 2016 and no salary cap and the '89 draft where they got Nicholas Lidstrom and Sergei Fedorov. So it, it's it's so much harder these days, but. You know, Steve, I mean, he's so methodical and he's patient, and I don't think he spends much time on social media worrying uh, whether fans approve of, of what he does or not. I mean, you know, the proof is in a, a, a product that's steadily gotten better under since since, since he became GM uh, in, in 2019. So, you know, it's just, in, in for, I mean, he has, he of course, has the support of ownership and understanding that this is, this is a, a process that's going to take time. That said, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in seven years, and there certainly is some pressure on to deliver a product that can that can make the playoffs again, that it's just been been a long drought uh, of even making it in past the regular season. With Detroit fans still remembering the decision to pass on Quinn Hughes, um, what will the reaction be to a Hughes-Heronic pair coming to town tomorrow? Yeah, that one, you know, there, there was certainly, it was a surprise last year when, when Steve traded Philip Ronick. Uh, I think, as he explained it at the time, though, he just got such a good offer. He thought that the offer he got from Vancouver would ultimately help the Wings more in the long run than where they were at 
right now. So, you know, but, but good for Roenick was a terrific player for the wings and he really carried the defense there for a while until they got more exciter, you know, and I've always liked, he, he, I think he plays with a lot of bite for a guy who's not super physically uh, imposing, but, you know, I, I think people will be happy to see the success he's had. And, um, and again, just trust that, that Steve made the right decision uh, in, in trading him. Detroit profiles with some of their, uh, rush scoring prowess as, as the sort of team that has given Vancouver some fits and, and starts on occasion. What, what's been sort of the key to their ability to attack off the rush this season? Well, I think just a, a much more, much more active back end. I mean, ad, adding Shane Gustav Bear, you know, he, he's their leading scorer on, on the back end. He's made a, he's made a significant difference. Uh, again, just one of those veterans that they brought in and, um, you know, so so he's been key, and now Rich Sider, Jake Wallman on the first pairing. You know, they have defensemen who either can contribute offensively themselves or will get the puck to the forwards. And you know, now they're getting uh, Patrick Kane back in the lineup. He's been out for since mid um, mid January, so getting him back in the lineup. You know, they have uh, Perron and uh, Raymond. They just they Robbie Fabry, like I mentioned earlier, Daniel Strong. They just they have scoring options now on every line, and that's just something you know. A few years ago, I mean, they could barely put together one line that could score. So, uh, so that's that's really been been key. Is just you know they they can they're not quite outscore their mistakes. They still really have to cut down on on high risk plays in order to be successful. But but again, they just they have so many more scoring options. You mentioned Moritz Sider as, you know, a defenseman who can help out contributing offense from the blue line. And, of course, he, he was so impressive in his Calder season uh, a couple of years ago when he broke into the league. And, you know, since then, I don't know if he's been as much on the radar of fans around the league. How has his game developed and how much has the, the increase of talent around him helped his game develop as well? I think it has developed, uh, or he has developed, and you know I, I think the focus has come off him a little bit. I mean, he was such a revelation when he came yeah. in. They also ask a tremendous amount of him, uh, you know, still in his early twenties. That you know he's he's out against the top pairing for for the most part. Now it will be nice for them again tomorrow. Their Ben Sherratt is also back in the lineup. They like him with Jeff Petrie, and that's a pairing that they've felt comfortable using against opposing top lines. And, Kind of take a little of the of the pressure off Moritz. So, but they are very very happy with where he's at, and and certainly, I mean, he he's one of the huge keys to the to the rebuild. You know, you mentioned that uh, Steve Eiserman has gone out. He's added a lot of uh, free agents on the blue line up front. Just generally been very aggressive. You know, JT Comfer, Andrew Kopp. You go down the list. That's helped them get from kind of where they were to now right in the mix as a playoff team. What do you think kind of the next evolution of Iserman's strategy is going to be to make the jump from playoff team to perennial contender, which, which of course is where he wants to go eventually. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, it's really been tough for them, you know, cause they've had, uh, you know, absolutely no luck in the draft lottery. I mean, the, the highest they picked in 2020, they were the worst team by 20 points or something. And they were pushed back to pick fourth by that ridiculous uh, concept they had of, of how to do the draft lottery that uh, you know that that pandemic year. So you know they, they've just missed out on on so many game changing, franchise changing players, and they've certainly made good picks. Steve has in Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider and such. But I think it's just going to take you know, and it's not a marketing slogan anybody wants to use, but it's going to take more patience 
you know, for them to draft and develop and hopefully make a trade that really pays off in their favor or, you know, maybe a, a good free agent, a really good free agent. But those those rarely hit the market. You know, you kind of – you see every mm-hmm. July teams overpay for what's available because there's not much available. So, you know, I mean, is it fair Chicago goes from Kane and Tays straight to Connor Bedard? <laughs> you know, like that's – I mean, that's, that's so incredibly lucky. And the Wings have had none of that. And then – you know, their draft picks before Steve got there, 2015, Svechnikov didn't work out. 2016, Cholowski, first-round pick, didn't work out. 2018, hurts too much to say again. <laughs> you know, they've just, you know, but like those, when you when you have first-round picks and they don't, they, they just wash out of your organization and don't become anything. I mean, that, that just sets you back so much. Uh, Helene, I <laughs> I wasn't expecting uh, that the Quinn Hughes thing to still hurt quite so much in Detroit. But uh, as you said, he's a heck of a player right now. Red Wing fans will get a chance to watch him tomorrow. Thanks for taking some time to chat with us today. My pleasure. Anytime. That is Helene St. James from the Detroit Free Press. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even think about that angle behind it too much, of course, the Zadina over Hughes part. But especially with him playing his college hockey in Michigan, Drance, like that, like imagine if... Giants, WHL, Vancouver Giants player X went one pick after a Canucks pick in the top 10 and then became the superstar that Quinn Hughes is. I have a feeling it would come up a fair amount on our show. Yeah, well, I mean, no kidding. Look, Quinn Hughes is a star anyway, but, you know, wearing the winged wheel with the the Michigan roots that he and his family have, I mean, that would have been, that would have been big. That would have been pretty good. Not, Not bad. That would have been a very, very big deal. Uh, of course, you know, the good thing is Quinn Hughes is a very, very big deal on Canada's West Coast and, you know, s- s- sucks to draft Sedina. It, I don't know. it does, yes. Unfortunate. <laughs> very unfortunate. Um, Red Wings an interesting team, right? You mentioned, you know, the scoring off the rush, and early on in the season they were definitely – but before the Canucks really pulled away in the standings, it was kind of two surprise teams but also two teams – riding real hot streaks right and you know Detroit has kind of bounced around a little bit then they've had some good stretches they've had some rougher stretches as well what kind of challenge do you think this Detroit team is going to pose for the Canucks tomorrow yeah I mean honestly I like I don't think it's all that dissimilar from the Blues Mm. the Bruins you know like some of these teams that you know, I mean, you noted it yourself, right? The Bruins not stacking those heavy shifts, nope. but when they are in space, they make that, you know, the clever extra pass that results in a good chance. Um, and they do it systematically. They do it time and time again. That's something the Canucks do too. It, You know, it feels to me in some ways, having watched this season, that the Canucks almost have more issues against mirror image clubs than they do against the, the, the LA Kings Carolina Hurricanes style overwhelm you with possession type teams. Now, you know, that's not like ironclad. They've also crushed rush teams too. Yeah. But it does it does feel like we're starting to see a bit of a stylistic trend emerge here about which teams have more success against Vancouver. And and, you know, for me it tends to be these teams that attack a little bit more uh in, in the mold of the Detroit Red Wings, which for me makes this a really fascinating Matchup, you know, it, it ain't easy playing early, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the club's coming off probably their worst performance of the year, I think we'd say. Like, certainly their worst result of the year. 
um, in Boston. Yeah, I would probably We're say the probably... Ve- the Vegas game at home. Worst performance yeah. of the year. Yeah, I think it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those two. Uh, honestly, I think you could put the Devils' loss up there too, because even though the Canucks battled back, like they they were they were poor in that game. You know, mm-hmm. um, just just because you're able to level the score, um, you know, against Vanacek, <laughs> like I don't think you get a ton of flowers for that, right? So, I, one of those three, I, I I don't know, man. I I'd, I'd say I feel like it's Boston. I feel right. like it's Boston because of the history. Sure. Well, it, that might be the most disappointing game, right? Because yeah. there was a ton of hype, one versus two. And, I mean, Shorty even said it on the broadcast last night, right? Like, hey, you were hoping for, you know, win or lose, you were hoping for a, a game that was in it right down to the wire. You know what I mean? That felt like a heavyweight tilt. And instead, last night, I mean, the last 40 minutes were basically garbage time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it's not even intense hockey, and then you lose, and it's disappointing. It was just kind of a total non-event on the schedule, which was really, really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, similar similar concerns stemming from both that one and the Vegas one. So, yeah, whatever. Um, let's not spend too much time discussing which Canucks no, performance was worse. <laughs> I feel really like that makes us it. a parody of Vancouver media, you know? <laughs> That's like... <laughs> Ranking the worst performances by this first place team. By the team. first overall team in the league. <laughs> That's too much. Like, Yannick Hansen would get mad at us. Yeah. Um, okay, so, sorry, what were we talking about? We were talking about I the game too, against Detroit. I got too excited about the, like, negativity draft. <laughs> sorry, what was Detroit, it? Detroit. Detroit tomorrow. Yeah, I, so I, this game holds some intrigue for me. Yeah. You know, like, more, more than it would for the Canucks to, like, normally play on a Saturday morning – uh, against you know a, a like fringe playoff team in the Eastern Conference, you know I, I think there's m- reasons why uh, this Detroit team poses a, a unique challenge to this team and a unique stylistic challenge. I'm curious to see what adjustments the club comes up with, uh, given some of the success that these uh, rush scoring teams have had uh, against Vancouver. Right, like that. That element's interesting to me, and we don't know the lineup, so there's that yeah. extra little bit of suspense. That'll be interesting going too. into warm up skate on um, on Saturday morning at you know the new Joe Louis. And uh, I know you've mentioned this as well, Little Carson- Caesars. Little Caesars, Little Caesars is, of course, what it's called. Uh, I know you've made this point though that Carson Soucy, a really, really important piece on for the rush oh. defense, right? So his absence. Uh, I think does play into that trend of, you know, maybe getting exposed a little bit or at least attacked a little bit by these rush teams. Um, we do have uh, not not super lengthy because, as I said, uh, uh, Kate Patterson, I believe, the only media covering the practice today. But some commentary from Rick Tockett, not tipping his hands on new line combos or anything, of course. But uh, we'll hear some general commentary here from Canucks coach Rick Tockett. Rick, it seemed like good energy out there. What did you feel about this group and, and the expectation for this weekend? Well, quite frankly, I mean, I've been pleased all year. You know, we've had some blips in the radar. Uh, you know, can't play great every game. Uh, we responded well. I mean, we haven't had many losing streaks or some, you know, bad play uh, consistently. So I got to give the players a lot of credit. You know, had a tough night. Um, now we go back to work and, you know, we, uh, we get our effort boots on and go against Detroit. Is there a bit of a positive in this point in the season to have a tough loss like that to, to give you a little bit of a kick and a, not a reality check, but when you're raising the bar, something to continue to humble you and say, let's go? Yeah, we always want to be humble. And, you know, you, know, you want to have swagger, but you have to be humble. You know, it's a tough game. The, 
Um, there's a lot of good hockey teams. You know, it's not just Boston. There's, a, there's a plenty of hockey, uh, desperate hockey teams, and you got to be ready. And, and, and if you don't have, the only thing we got to learn is we don't have it. You got to stay in your details. I think sometimes when we don't have it, we get off our details. We start to push when we shouldn't. Uh, we should stay with, with the system and stuff like that. Uh, stay with ourselves. You know, sometimes it's okay to be. I know it's two nothing state. You know, just let the game come to us, and uh, there's plenty of time left. Then you know. A couple of bad pinches or a guy misses their man, all of a sudden it's 4 nothing. So I think it's, uh, it is a good learning lesson, but you don't want a lot of these learning lessons, I'll tell you that. One thing we talked about is giving up some of those shorthanded goals. Yeah. What did you focus on today or talk to the guys about in terms of trying to limit that? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, how was it, four or five in the last three, four games? I, it's, been, it's been said, it's been dealt with. Um, you know, now it's obviously, I, I don't have to say it anymore. The players know. You got to get back and defend, you know. Um, we're looking to go get the puck when we should be defending. And, uh, you know, you go through, I, I don't know if every team goes through those stretches when you just, all you'd want to do is score and you worry about the, the power play, you don't worry about defending. So, yeah, we got to correct that because that, that's something you don't want to let creep, creep in your game. You've talked about the open communication with your coaching staff. I saw you talking to uh, Ian Clark out there, obviously back-to-backs this weekend and then Chicago Tuesday. What's the conversation like and how do you approach the goaltending situation moving forward? Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll go back to the hotel here in about an hour. We'll have one more uh, to, to, to name our starter. So me and Clark, we talk about a lot of different things. You know, uh, Casey actually, actually had a really good practice today. Uh, you know, whether you give them a rest or, you know, it's a lot of different conversations. And I, I always lean to Clark. He's a smart guy, knows the goaltending. Uh, then you go with sometimes it's your gut feeling, but, uh, you know, we'll make that decision here later in the day. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, as I said, with some some brief thoughts, general thoughts uh, about what he wants to see from his team bouncing back, the shorthanded goals against, and the goaltending conversation uh, as well, Drancer. I mean, to me, I would expect to see Casey the Smith tomorrow, just with the, you know, less than 48-hour turnaround uh, coming out of the Boston game. You know, Demko has his, his streak of nine games, one snapped. Not his fault by any stretch, but lets in four goals uh, against the Bruins. It seems like a pretty logical spot to go to the backup in the first of back-to-back games, to me, anyways. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, probably, just for the extra day off That's the thing. for Demko. It's, like it's, it's not a back-to-back, obviously, yet, but it's a quicker-than-normal turnaround with the early start time. So, I don't know. Just give him, give him, a, day, give him a day rest. Give him a time to reset. Why not? Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, I mean, sure. I... I, I think you're right. Probably, I'd probably expect to Smith tomorrow, and and the Capitals the next day. Although I do think the Red Wings are the are the more robust test, which feels weird to say given you know Alex Ovechkin. Yes, but yeah, yeah, and again, do not undersell the Capitals. Right, like that team is impossible to pin down. They well, I was are... gonna say I, I like they're they're minus thirty six on the year, despite having been like well above five hundred for most of the season. Like that's a it's a weird they might be the weirdest team in the NHL this year the Washington Capitals. Yeah, they they're just such an odd mix of like they've got some young guys, they've got a lot of vets who just kind of know how to win. Mm-hmm. Um they've got pretty good goaltending like Kemper and Lindgren have both played really well. Um but there's nothing like I don't know. They they're just a really tough team to get a sense for, so they can be dangerous. I mean they, they are not a bad team by any means, right? It's just that they're not an elite team anymore. Um, and, and it feels like, and this happens too as, as players like Ovechkin age, right? Like you might get one of the 15 games a year where you're playing against Ovechkin and he looks like prime Ovechkin. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like you just don't know going into it. Because um, that's kind of what falls off, right? The, the consistency. You know, it's not that Ovechkin's not still great or can't still be great. It's just as, as an older player, it, it's rare that he's great like every night. Um, so, yeah, Caps are a complete wild card. It's going to be oh, yeah. an interesting weekend. It's a tricky one, too, right? Back-to-back, both early games on the weekend. You know, you're right into the thick of this road trip now, but you're not quite to the point where you're coming home after. So it will be a challenging set. A couple of games in the AM this weekend for Canucks fans to enjoy. Dmitry Filipovich coming up on the other side. Before we get to Dmitry, time for the Vancouver Giants report. Giants home tomorrow. They play tonight in Seattle. They'll host Wenatchee at the Langley Event Center uh, tomorrow night at 7. So you can get your tickets. Hey, you can watch the Canucks in the morning. You can go get your Giants tickets uh, and head out in person to watch them at the LEC tomorrow. Uh, For more on the Giants, here is play-by-play announcer Nathan Cantor. Last weekend was a big one for the Vancouver Giants. Two one-goal victories over two of the top teams in the Western Hockey League in Prince George and Everett. And now the attention turns to two different opponents, one they haven't seen since December in the Seattle Thunderbirds, and the other they haven't seen since early November in the Wenatchee Wild. Heading into this weekend, Vancouver has points in six straight games with a 5-0-1 record during that stretch, and they're also 9-3-1 in the new year. Head coach Manny Vivero says one thing he's noticed that's different with the club is more offensive zone possession time. We certainly want to play, uh, you know, a real fast tempo type of game and, and, and you know, get on the opposition on forecheck and spend time in the ozone. And over these last three weeks to a month now, you can really see uh, with our, our three analytics, our possession time in the ozone has jumped up to, uh, quite a bit. So that's something that we want to be known for as our group here. And, you know, obviously we have the personnel to, to help that, uh, reinforce that. Tonight, the Giants head to a tough building as they'll battle the Seattle Thunderbirds in their home barn, which is one of the toughest places to win in the Western Hockey League. The good thing for Vancouver is they've done it before with a 2-1 overtime road win over Seattle back on December 15th. The Giants also beat Seattle two days later at home by a score of 3-1 on December 17th. Although Seattle is in a rebuilding season and they currently sit in 10th in the West, Coach Vivero says they are not to be taken lightly. You know, they've been playing really good of late and uh, and always a tough building to play into. So that's something we do have experience of being there already once this year, though. But, you know, they're trying to fight for a playoff sp- uh, position and we're trying to solidify a p- playoff position for us here. So I think it's, uh, it's go time for a lot of these teams that are not secured just yet. So I expect a, a playoff atmosphere for sure. And while it's one game at a time for Vancouver, they do host the Wenatchee Wild on Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Langley Event Center. That will be Wenatchee's first visit to the LEC since October 1st. That game was a 6-2 win for the Giants. Langley Minor Hockey Association is celebrating their 50th anniversary this season, and the Giants are proud to partner with them for Saturday's game, with all 50-50 proceeds going to the LMHA. Also, the first 500 kids wearing minor hockey jerseys to Saturday's game will receive a free Giants toque. As always, you can get your tickets to Saturday's game or any Giants game at VancouverGiants.com tickets. Tonight's action in Seattle gets underway at 7.05 p.m., but their pregame show gets underway right here on Sportsnet 650 at 6 p.m., and Saturday's game at 7, the pregame show will also get underway at 6. Big weekend for the Giants as they look to move up from 7th place in the Western Conference. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Kent.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Final segment of the week live from the Kintech studio here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Now joining me, keeping me company in studio with Drance on the road here. Uh, he is, of course, the host of the Hockey PDO cast across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Dmitry Filipovich. What's going on, man? Fellas, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Drance, you there? Hi. <laughs> We just wanted to make sure. We've got a good bet going on how engaged you're going to be today after uh, last week's Tour de Force performance. Um, yeah, I, honestly, no promises, man. These 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 road trips where, um, yeah, these road trips get long. You know what I mean? Like, definitely by this segment, every time we do it, I'm like, man, it's really hard well, to engage with two people remotely. <laughs> I got to say, so before the show today, Dimitri tipped me off. He was like, listen, I just want to let you know, I, about Drance's mental state right now, because earlier today, Dimitri <laughs> told me he sent you a funny picture, and then like two hours later, you sent him back the same one being like, wow, I can't believe this. Have you seen it? <laughs> with like nearly the same caption. It was so good. <laughs> and I, I have to say, so I was a little concerned because I get it, right? We're remote. You're on the road, travel, all these different responsibilities. I would like, you have far surpassed my expectations today. Maybe Dimitri well, lowered them too much, but I was like, wow, this is actually going great. I mean, it was the Puka Nakua uh, Ray Lewis image. Have you seen this, Jamie? Yeah, I have now. Yes. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No. It, look, in fairness to me. Dimitri sent me multiple images, and I reacted to the second one of them, and it was, like, sent at, like, 11 p.m. my All time, right. All right. which is, like, exactly when I was, like, writing and then walking across uh, Boston Common and scaling Beacon Hill to get back to my hotel. So, I, you know, that's my defense here is, like, I, I engaged with the second of them because I had a lot going on. All right. Fair enough. But uh, anyways, yeah. you, maybe, maybe my expectations were too low, but uh, kudos to you for surpassing them. Um, <laughs> before, before we get into our draft uh, later on, let's start by looking ahead to the Canucks opponents, including one they play twice, both times, uh, both meetings this year before the next time we chat with you tomorrow uh, and then later next week uh, at Rogers Arena against the Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, we were talking earlier in the show, a lot of rush offense, just in general, a more potent offensive attack. Uh, from the Detroit Red Wings. What are you seeing from uh, from the Red Wings these days? Well, it should be a barn burner. I think first and second in the league in shooting percentage in those matchups. Woo! So should be a should be a good time. No, it's been interesting. They've certainly exceeded my expectations from an offensive perspective, right? They struggled quite a bit last year, and they certainly made additions by bringing mm-hmm. a guy like Alex Lebrink out, and he's helped quite a bit. A lot of it does seem, you know, for listeners of this program, it's not a new concept, but yes. I mean, a lot of it does seem shooting percentage driven, even much more so, I think, than in the Canucks case, where I'm a bit more skeptical of the way they're generating their offense. It seems like it is on the fortunate side. And so once that dries up, I think they'll regress down to being kind of more middle of the pack. But right now they're hanging in that third uh, spot in the Atlantic. And so I I think they're enjoying it because it's been a while since they've played competitive hockey this late into the season. What's Patrick Kane given the Red Wings since he's joined them? Well, he's been out for the past couple weeks, I think, right? So I'm not sure if he's going to be back. He probably will not be back for tomorrow's game. I'm not sure about the second one. Um, he's looked a lot better before the before the most recent sure. injury. He certainly looked like he had more juice in terms of his uh, in terms of his skating ability and motion. Uh, makes sense that he was hampered last year by that hip injury. So uh, helped him quite a bit. Had that chemistry with Alex Abrinkat, of course. 
But yeah, I mean, it, it's a top-heavy team in that sense from a scoring perspective. And so I think if you can limit that first line uh, with uh, with Dylan Larkin, then you can really kind of keep them in check. So I think that's what I would be looking for in this matchup. Every team Daniel Sprong goes to right. shoots the lights out. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. At, at, at what point, you know, it's like it's like how, um, do you remember how career years for goalies used to follow Willie Mitchell around? Right? Like at what point do we just sort of conclude that having a finisher like Daniel Sprong on your fourth line is going to result in you being a more efficient team. And is that true? Or is that just a multi-year blip here? I think it's probably more of a multi-year blip, but I'm willing to uh, engage you in, in the, uh, in the narrative you're trying to put together here. I mean, it's (laughs) funny because I think him and Carson Soucy actually both have a bit of a historical trend here in this regard. And, and funny enough, right. both guys were on the crack last year and both guys went to new teams and carry that over with the, uh, the first and second teams in shooting percentage. No, Sprong's a heck of a player. I mean, on a permanent basis, he's been one of the most efficient scorers in the league for a few years now. Kind of is what he is though. In that sense, like it, I don't think it's an accident or surprise that he's on what his fourth or fifth team now. And that team is still kind of hesitant to, put him further up in the lineup and give him more of an opportunity, which isn't a bad thing by any means. I think we see that with a guy like Niels Hoaglander on the Canucks, for example, where getting that type of efficient scoring down your depth chart, I understand fans are going to see that and want more ice time and try to kind of prorate that, but it's still a very valuable uh, component to your team. And and the fact that they're getting that from him is a massive luxury. Not a question. (laughs) Exciting. Not a question, but do you remember earlier in the year when Justin Hole was eleven to one to win the Norris? I I do, I do. That was such a good bit. And now I believe he's healthy scratch, right? Because he's not playing, but I don't think he's hurt. I believe he's just not one of their top six defensemen. <laughs> so you don't think he's going to? You don't win think the he's going to win the Norris? Gonna... He's not going to pay that off. No, no. That turns out that wasn't the the <laughs> brightest bet. Um, no, that was uh, that was so good when we discovered that, and we uh, we talked about it on multiple episodes of my show. It, it uh, the most cider usage though. Speaking of a defenseman, yep. Not to, uh, to hijack your guys' show here. No, but I think do. that's a very interesting component. <laughs> I don't of think this anyone would. Agree. I don't think either of us would complain at Drent, this point. Drance, I think you're going to appreciate this quite a bit. This the the whole debate or discourse right now around this guy is really reminiscent of like the 2016 OG days of hockey Twitter where there's debates going now about his usage and Mm. the fact that if you watch the Red Wings play and you watch both sider play, he's a very impressive player. But then you look at the results and they're not very good when he's on the ice at five on five. And it's like, how do we weigh those two things? And so there's a whole analytics versus uh, eye test debate that's been raging about this guy that really is a, it's kind of a throwback to the nostalgia days of uh, of hockey Twitter. Actually, I do. To so the days of the Julius Honka Wars? <laughs> yes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, speaking of guys who uh, GMs think look great now, I'm not comparing this player to Mo Sider, but I did just want to throw this at you because his name's come up. Rasmus Verstelainen, mm. of course. Big, right. big-bodied, right-shot defenseman, big high-draft pedigree. Never had good results <laughs> when he's on the ice. Now, I know that's changed a little bit in Philly mm-hmm. in a prescribed role, I don't look. I don't think the Canucks are going to trade for Rasmus Ristolainen this year. I'd be very surprised. But just in a general sense, for you to be on board with a team acquiring Ristolainen, like what what needs to be in place? What do they have to do to make that a worthwhile gamble? Theoretically, yeah, I don't see how it makes sense from a, a like considering the assets you're going to have to give up for it yeah. and the future money that's attached to him for the player he is right now. 
I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're going to use him the way the Flyers have this year, which, by the way, they've been rotating him as one of their seven defensemen and he's getting healthy scratched at times, uh, which is an important piece of context whenever you see these days, right? Like, I think yesterday he was sick. Mm-hmm. But when he was not one of the six defensemen they were addressing and everyone was freaking out that a trade was imminent, it was an important reminder that eh, he might have just been their regular guy out because that's how they've been using him um he needs to be used in a very specific role and he's very limited as a player he can be useful in the way they've used them the way john chorrell and bradshaw have have gotten out of him but that's what he is and so i think any team acquiring him and thinking that there's reason for ambition or reason for more is going to be sorely disappointed and the player that he is right now while that is useful is probably not worth the cap hit and the acquisition cost it'll take uh, on Sunday, I just don't I wanted to get that wrist aligning question in, but uh, back to the Canucks opponents. On Sunday, they play the Washington Capitals, and uh, we were saying earlier, bizarre team, hard to pin down. They've had a good record for a lot of the year. Their goal differential is horrible. Ovi looks like a shadow of himself most days. Like what? How would you define the Washington Capitals of this year? Bleak. <laughs> I would say bleak. I mean, to his credit, I think Ovechkin scored in three straight games now, yep. so that's cool to see. Um yeah, I think heading into the year, I would have said that the entire objective for the season is just get him closer to the goals record, right? I think ultimately wins and losses don't mm-hmm. really matter. I'm sure they want to play competitive hockey, but at the end of the day, that's all that really matters in the grand scheme of things. And the fact that he started so slow in that regard was obviously highly concerning. I, I would expect him, just based on how much he's playing and shooting, to score more and end the season with somewhere in, in 20 to 25 range. Um, but yeah, it's the second oldest team in the league. They play very slow. They don't have much offense, and their goaltendings carry them for a lot of it, right? Like a Kevin Woodley favorite and Charlie Lindgren has been awesome this season, but if they don't have that going for them, it's going to be tough for them to compete and win games. Are we seeing with Ovechkin that thing that happens sometimes with older players where they still can do it some nights, but it's, you know, fewer and further between? Really, it's the consistency that goes? Yeah, I'd say there's a little bit of that. Like, you watch him, and on certain nights, he certainly looks much slower than he even has in years past. I think the biggest issue for them, though, is with Evgeny Kuznetsov declining the way he has and then Nicholas Backstrom Mm -hmm. having his career cut short. They just don't have that guy on the half wall anymore that can Mm. get the puck to him on the power play, right? It's very predictable in a sense where they work it up to the top of the umbrella. John Carlson has it. He's either going to hammer it or pass it over to Ovechkin, and... That actually, that type of pat, that one timer where you go from the top of the formation straight to the guy as opposed to going across the ice just doesn't really work in today's game anymore. And so, with teams having taken that away, um, it's just tough for him to get the same quality of looks in the power play that he used to. So, I think that's the biggest thing. And unfortunately, that's a bit out of his control. I think if they had that type of player to get him the puck, he'd still be scoring not what he used to in his time, but much closer to whatever that version of him was. With so that's Washington, they play Detroit, and that's it. That's really the, the Canucks have three opponents before we talk again, at which point they'll be playing the Winnipeg Jets. Mm. I just wanna I just wanna zoom ahead because the conversation we have next week might be very different than the one we'd have today about the Jets, given that they seem to be spiraling a little bit. Are you concerned about the saxophone squirtle crew? Well, they're no longer the saxophone squirtle crew. I don't know if you heard this, but uh, they had the saxophone squirtle bowl yesterday oh. with the Philadelphia <clears throat> Flyers, and the Flyers just oh no triumphantly it stole them? it from them. And then Charlie O'Connor reported after the game, we're playing it in the locker room <laughs> triumphantly. 
And oh, so I no. think they officially have taken the rights fair and square. They won it, and they're the rightful holders of saxophone squirtle oh, boy. and all future playing of the song. So um, do they play? Do they play again? I don't think they do. They've already played twice, and oh, actually, man. Philadelphia won both pretty convincingly. So <laughs> I think that tells you everything you need to know. And you know what? With uh, the five-game losing streak they're on, they don't deserve saxophone squirtle anymore see that is telling me the flyers are a team of destiny right there they really saxophone are saxophone squirtle in your corner i mean scott Lawton's forcing everyone on the team to listen to it for like hour loops i mean <laughs> it doesn't get better than that what's better than that that sounds like Literally morning in my house when i'm trying to convince my daughters <laughs> to get dressed it's like fine i'll put on saxophone squirtle <laughs> again we'll do it um by the way, before we get into a draft or anything here, use bleak to describe the Capitals. Yeah. Uh, if they're bleak, what word would you use to describe the Connor Bedardless Chicago Blackhawks, oh. who the Canucks finished this road trip against? Actually, less bleak because you just don't have to tune in, right? Sure. So I, I think less bleak in that sense. Although, you know, speaking of the Capitals, I, I should mention one thing that's not bleak yeah. is this realization that they probably will get a first-round pick for Nick Dowd. Okay, really, though? I think they will. Oh, my gosh. I think they will. I'm sure it'll come with some sort of... Uh, Protection and... Of course, but yeah. also some sort of other thing thrown in, whether it's them taking back money right, or something, right. where it's not purely, like, nicked out for a first, but it'll be presented as such. And the fact that Frank Sarabelli's been on this, much like he was Sean Monaghan previously, makes yep. me think that he's talked to at least a few GMs that give him enough confidence to, like be pushing it this hard i don't think it's coming out of nowhere so I would no i'm myself. sure it's not coming out of nowhere but man that's uh that's gonna be wild yeah the hagel price right because he's reporting that it's a first with a fourth going back right yeah. or is that the goodrow price that's no the that's goodrow a goodrow price. price it was like yeah, yeah. goodrow was like 27th overall for like 85th or something like that yeah and and hagel was double that it was multiple they did firsts it. It yeah was multiple they did two firsts, firsts for multiple yeah. fourths yep nice yeah. Um, all right, what do you want to draft? Do we want to do the Super Bowl props? I want to draft Super Bowl props. Okay. Are do you <laughs> I, I just pulled up like a, a massive list at Bodog, so mine are all gonna be completely, completely out of left field. So, but that's fine. What do you mean? Like they're well, you'll see. <laughs> so they're not actually are they not actually game related? They're no, kind no, of some just of them like are more, game related. Okay. Don't worry. Well, I, I I think it's fine if you're drafting like specials and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm just, I'm yeah. just, I mean, I'm just saying we're not all working off like the same list here. Is what I'm saying. I don't. Oh think. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, just yeah, like just Super fine. Bowl bets you like. Yeah. yeah. All right, you start us 100%. off. Hundred percent. Me? Yeah. <laughs> Little old me. Me? <laughs> Tom's what? like, oh no, I didn't prepare. All right, here's my forty-seven <laughs> favorite ones. <laughs> I'm gonna go with humor. I'm gonna go with humor to start us out. Kay. Oh no, sorry. Here's the lock of the week. The absolute lock of the week. There's a bunch of books that are taking action on this on both the yes and the no side. So, like, an actual market uh, with, the, with the negative where you can bet effectively the under mm -hmm. on Travis Kelsey to propose to Taylor Swift on the field after the game. Yes. Okay? Minus 1,200. Odds are terrible. But, like, there's no way he's going to propose after the game. And you get the additional hedge that there's no way he's going to propose after the game if they lose. Like, 0% chance. I think there's 0% chance it happens at all. Minus 1,200, that's a steal. Like, an absolute steal. I would throw my life savings on that. I don't recommend you, our listener, do that. Please don't. I, I need help. I'm a sicko. But, like, truly, there's no amount that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't be willing to wager on uh, um, against 
Travis Kelsey proposing. No chance. Zero chance. So, yeah, there, you can find that action all over the place. Only plus 700 for it to happen. That's the sucker. No, do not that, bite that, that is, hook. That, that, is absolute, that is absolutely terrible. Uh, okay, I'll do you one better because I have will any player propose to his girlfriend on the field after oh. the game? This you can get no minus 290. So that's like significant Ooh. value increase over the my what was it minus like ten thousand for uh or, or that you were saying for uh for Tra- Kelsey and Taylor Swift so this is yes you're taking the risk that you know some backup uh defensive lineman could see that this is his moment but like has it ever happened in Super Bowl history somebody's proposed on the field after the game I don't think so so minus two ninety will any player propose to his girlfriend on the field after the game no I like that one a lot. Ooh man, Dimitri's I'm a little worried. Like, what are we doing here? I'm a little worried about Legarius Sneed. <laughs> his, I'm a little worried about Legarius Sneed and his um, model um, girlfriend Bella Wu, who just they just had a kid, hmm. like just had a kid. Like he missed the first Super Bowl practice. She's definitely going to be there. Legarius Sneed is going to puncture that bet if anyone does. So I'm wow. just I'm worried about Legarius Sneed. <laughs> I, I did not expect you to have a player specific take on that one, but I should have known. I should have known better. <laughs> I love that. Yes, so much. yes, true sicko stuff. Okay, let's get right to the good stuff. All right, Jake Moody under six point five points. Ooh, I like it. I'm also all for betting on Jake Moody to miss a kick. Tom, you and I were watching the game. What was it two weeks ago now against the Lions? Every time he steps up there, I think he's going to miss a kick. He's yep. got some big ones this season. I think I, I, I'm i fading it. I also think that the opportunities just won't be as there because I think it's going to be a slow-paced game. I think they might actually have to go for it a couple times on fourth down. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm going against Jake Moody here, and I think that's a fun one to root for because if he hits the he hits the uprights or something and it goes a doinks out, that's also a fun thing to cheer for. I just yep. I think fading the kicker is a, is a position I'm happy to be on. I think that's a good one. You, uh, you get to pick again. Kudos to you to sticking to actual gameplay, football gameplay. For well, I'm just, I, I don't, I don't have the full list that Jamie does there. The, mm. the truly, uh, the truly, the truly one. bonkers ones. Okay, yeah. what about this one? I'm, I'm, I pulled up. Uh, the Ringer had a, a best prop bets, yeah, mm-hmm. list. This is a kind of a fun one. 49ers over six point five players to catch a pass. I like that. Yeah, me too. So you just need one random guy then, and you need. Yes. And, and I think this game encourages right because the Chiefs are certainly known for pulling out unnecessarily ex- like extensive trick plays, uh-huh. especially around the goal line. I think that's going to encourage the 49ers to do the same. So I just need someone get a Brock Purdy catch or something. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little nervous. What's the uh, what's the rushing? What's the rushing? Do you, uh, I guess you don't have the list in front of you. My 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 concern would be that the 49ers keep two running backs on the field more mm-hmm. than anyone else because Kyle Yuschik qualifies as a running back for some reason, um, and so like it's pretty rare. I mean, really, I guess you're counting on like McLeod or Ronnie Bell to catch one because it's not like they have a separate receiving back. You know, like, Uchik will get one, Kittle for sure, Debo, Ayuk for sure. Right. Um, so, like, those those five with CMC I think are, are really safe. Juwan Jennings is going to be on the field for a ton of snaps. But who's the who's the seventh guy? Like, I actually struggle to come up with who the seventh guy is. No, I, I guess you're, like, the, it, it's McLeod or, or Bell. Certainly. Or you get a random 
Jordan Mason or Elijah Mitchell coming on for a tired CMC. Yeah. Yeah, you might need it. Or oh, man, Brock I don't know. I don't like play. that one, but that's okay. All right. I'm oh, sorry I didn't meet your standards there, Tom. <laughs> that's okay. I just I lose every draft, so I like to win. I like to pretend I won one sometimes. Okay, I'm going to mix in some uh, some hockey content here. So I'll take this uh, Canucks content as well, so you can plan your day around this bet on Sunday. Either Travis Kelsey to score first touchdown or – so this is not a parlay. It's just one, one of these only has to hit – for you to win or Brock Besser to score the first goal against the Capitals Ooh. on Sunday plus 375. So nice. either Travis Kelsey to score first or Brock Besser to score first in the Canucks game plus 375. There, there, I, I like that spreading my odds around a little bit, still getting a little bit of value there. So that's my, uh, that's my second pick, but it, but it's not amplified if you get both. No, no. Yeah. I mean, Come on, live a little. I was going to say, not rich <laughs> enough for your blood. Uh, I like that one, though. Um, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Oh, you're okay. stealing this one Valdez from me. Valdez Scantling. What do you mean I got this one from you? I've been I've been talking up Valdez Scantling going nuke for weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Fred Warner crushes it in the middle of the field. That's where Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey live. Valdez Scantling has made some clutch catches, and I think he's back in the trust tree. We also saw his snap count accelerate significantly last week. If the if the Chiefs at any point are down, you know he's going to get a deep pass, and it's just a matter of whether or not he catches it. You can get him for longest reception in the game at 13-1. to 1. I also don't hate the all-out MVS to have the most receiving yards in the game at 5,000, plus 5,000. Um, but obviously, you know, bet responsibly if you're if you're chasing those kinds of odds. So MVS nuke spot is something I'm just generally in on and will be in on in a major way um, come the actual day of. And then I really like KC second half under. <laughs> the KC second half under um, or just the game second half under 23 and a half. Um, I think we might see, like, both these coaches are really good off the opening, like, 15, the opening game script. But we see if Casey's winning, they're going to absolutely take the air out of the ball, run it tons, try and slow it all down. Um, They just don't score in the second half. I think their second half unders played, like, 12 of 18 times this season. I think it plays on the Super Bowl Sunday. So that's my other one. All right. My last one here, uh, I'm going to go – Fred Warner plus 10,000 Super Bowl MVP. Now, defensive player probably not going to win it, but if you yeah, can do the job set your on money on fire. <laughs> if you can do the job on Travis <laughs> Kelsey, get that? a pick, fumble recovery, something like that. Look, I want to take a long shot. My other ones were too safe. The, but the, like you can get you can get Pacheco at 3,000 or Pacheco's not going to win. Or, what do you mean? Pacheco's not going to win. Think- you don't think Pacheco could bust two big runs against this San Francisco defense that gave up 50 yards to Aaron Jones and got run all over by the Lions? You don't think Pacheco can, like, I don't know. I'm, that's a way better long shot than Fred Warner. Yeah, but it's not it's McCaffrey's 4-1. to one. CMC's 4-1. to one. He finished ahead of Purdy in MVP <laughs> balloting for the season. Which yeah. is a good insight into how the voters did rate see, the two. Did you see that video of Pete Blackburn telling Isaiah Pacheco that there's a comp between him and Nathan McKinnon. And then Isaiah <laughs> Pacheco saying, oh, who's that? 
And then he said, <laughs> Colorado Avalanche Center. And, and Isaiah Pacheco's response was, oh. <laughs> One more pick. We'll wrap up here. All right. Total time. Taylor Swift will be shown live over 28 and a half seconds. Come on. Way over. There's no chance it's going to be on there. It's a Super Bowl. Yeah. That's free money. Where are you finding that listed? It's on. I, the, need, to, it, I need to jump on that now. <laughs> it's on the New York Post. Wow. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, um, I don't know though. I'm unless on I, the only thing else is if the Niners are up, they're not going to be shown her a lot. No, but early in the game, I think that's one that you'll be able to cross couple shots, early. couple shots early, but I don't know. All right, uh, no, and if and if the and if the Chiefs win, you're gonna get it just post. If, if the Chiefs win, you're gonna get mad. Plus, she's or getting is, proposed or, after the game. I mean, come on. Is this whistle to whistle though, or because sometimes these standing, don't count after oh, the game? That's a good question. I don't know about the logistics. Right. Don't I mean standing anyway, next really to log- stand? No, it's during the game broadcast, so right. that'll have to include. Um, Standing next to Legereus Sneed as he gets down on one knee, taking all of Dodd's life savings. <laughs> tough times. Tough times for me. All right. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We're back on Monday for more Canucks talk. It is Sportsnet 650.